Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. It's Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald. We are rolling right along with these 2021 team outlooks, season outlooks, uh, continuing with the Atlanta Dream. Nine in the books, three more to go, and we'll start with the Dream here. They went 7-15 in 2021. They had the 10th best record in the league. They were also 10th in net rating at negative 8.1. They were the 11th ranked offense at 99 points per 100 possessions, and they were the 10th ranked defense at 107.1 points allowed per 100 possessions. Any overall kind of thoughts on the dream before we really get into it here? Uh, not a very exciting team to talk about, at least regarding last season, in my opinion. Like they've got exciting players, don't get me wrong, but they didn't really, they weren't really that good at anything. You know, that might sound kind of crude, but. Could, could you pick anything out of what they were good at last year? I mean, I think I was a little bit more maybe entertained by them than you were. I, I think in your notes, you had mentioned that they were kind of boring. And I think to some degree that that was true, but they did have the one shining star of Kennedy Carter, which I think, did. you know, made their entertainment value at least kind of uh, buoyed a, a little bit, but they were at least relative to 2019. They got a little bit better offensively, you know, in that 2019 season, they were awful across the board worse than the league type numbers in, in pretty much every kind of statistical offensive category. They were the worst half court offense in the league in 2019. They were the worst uh, transition offense in the league. They were 11th in transition frequency. So they managed to move some of those numbers up a little bit. They got out in transition a little bit more last year, as you would imagine, bringing in some of those new additions as uh, in free agency, as well as, you know, Kennedy Carter in the draft. So they got to league average in transition frequency, inefficiency, so a massive improvement kind of from where they were the previous season. They were still 11th in half-court offense. And you do kind of wonder, you know, they lost Benajelani, of course, in free agency. She was number one in transition possessions for them last year. But they're also getting Tiffany Hayes back, who, you know, will definitely help get them in the open court. You sure. know, I think they're getting a little bit better defensive personnel, including Hayes and some uh, another year of Courtney Williams, who I think, you know, for all... I might criticize of her offensive game, like defensively, she's a pretty good two. You know, they're going to be playing with more talent in the front court, if nothing else. So hopefully that'll help them get out in the open court a little bit more. Offensively, though, over 20% of their shots came from like the longest twos, uh, you know, 16 feet to the three-point line. They had the highest frequency in the league there. I don't think that's any real surprise. And we'll see if that's able to improve at all. You know, they have some players that really kind of fall in love with those shots. This team, as they always do under Nikki Collin, they ran a ton of pick and rolls. They were second by a hair in possessions that ended in a pick and roll, which makes sense with what Nikki Collin wants to do. They were number one in plays finished by the pick and roll ball handler and either a shot or a turnover. And they had three players that had over 125 possessions as a pick and roll ball handler, which wow. they were the, the only team to do that. Phoenix probably you know would have been on track to do that before Hartley went down, but you know, no one else was really close to having three players with that type of volume. Unfortunately, none of those players were good at it. Uh, you know, Kennedy Carter was in the 51st percentile. Courtney Williams was in the 44th percentile. Benajelani in the 42nd percentile. And that's in uh, scoring out of the pick and roll. Only Carter was better in overall pick and roll offense, you know, including passing than, you know, individual pick and roll scoring, which, you know, pretty much every decent role, pick and roll player, you know, if you have any kind of passing chops, you're going to be better because um, assists are valuable and, and they drive up a lot of those numbers and you're going to assist a lot more than you turn it over there. So some encouraging numbers for Kennedy Carter in the pick and roll, but some not too encouraging numbers uh, for the other primary 
guards there. I don't think it's any surprise that they were 12th and finishing around the rim in the half court, you know, on those non-post-ups, you know, any type of drive or, or cut or anything like that. They didn't really have a single big on their roster last year that's like a decent finisher in size. There was no real spacing for their perimeter players to be able to finish, hopefully with an influx of talent this season and, and some internal improvement as well. We'll see some better numbers there. But last year, this is something that I thought was interesting. They never posted up 10th in frequency. 11th yeah, I saw in that, fr- yeah. 11th in efficiency. And, you know, it makes me wonder kind of how much they'll let Cheyenne Parker, who has been a pretty good post-up player in the past. Uh, I think it's a little bit more, you know, when she goes against reserve bigs that she can really kind of feast in the post and maybe starters versus starters. She's a little bit more effective as a pick and roll player, but we'll see if Colin, you know, gets her back to being a, a post-up player or, or if, you know, she just kind of has her playing a little bit more pick and roll more as a spot-up player. Any other, I guess, like notes or thoughts on them offensively? It was a little bit of a drag, but I think things are looking to be a little bit improved this year. Well, last year, I, I want to address kind of what they did heading into that season. You know, they, they spent a considerable amount of money in free agency um, on, you know, Shakina Strickland and Glory Johnson. Neither of those players really made a significant impact, though. Strickland in particular, you know, she had this, she was one of the best three-point shooters in the league, you know, during her time in Connecticut. And she was a huge part of Connecticut's offense because not many people in Connecticut could shoot. Um, then she came to Atlanta where not many people in Atlanta could shoot, but she just didn't really, she couldn't really stay on the floor. So in my opinion, that's, that's kind of a bust there. Um, and of course, Tiffany Hayes set out the whole season. I don't know. Like, like I said, this, this team didn't really have a lot of interesting storylines to me. I, I know Kennedy Carter obviously is the exception to that, but Nigel Laney coming out of nowhere to one motion proof player. That was awesome as well. But um I'm much more looking forward to this team in 2021 because, you know, they're getting some interesting pieces back with, with Hayes and they bring in Odyssey Sims, bringing in uh, Parker, Cheyenne Parker, Tiana Hawkins is an interesting piece for this team, I think. And the players who, they had a few players, I believe, who were, who suffered from COVID before the season or during the season, if I recall correctly. So assuming that they're all healthy now, this team is going to look a lot more dynamic at the very least. Yeah, at least uh, Courtney Williams and Kalani Brown missed time due to COVID. I think Courtney Williams only ended up missing a couple of games, but Kalani Brown was a really late arrival to the bubble. Um, yeah, you could just tell she wasn't right. Yeah. Let, let's quickly kind of touch on their, you know, the defensive notes I had here okay. before we get into, I think, the big thing that, you know, really the only thing kind of worth talking about for this team as it carries over to 2021 from last year, and that would be Kennedy Carter. But it was kind of hard for me to pinpoint, like, the one thing that made their defense so bad. Again, they were uh, 10th defensively. They were kind of just, you know, they were average in a lot of areas, you know, 7th in this, 7th in that. They were uh, the 7th highest in the league in terms of proportion of shots around the rim. Like, they were – uh, they allowed the fourth lowest field goal percentage around the rim. You know, Elizabeth Williams, I think, is a really good defensive center in that regard. And they played with two traditional bigs a lot of the time. They were fifth highest in three-point attempt rate allowed. They were tied for the third highest transition frequency allowed and were bottom four in efficiency. So, again, just not defending transition well. Um, you know, that's something you could probably point to in terms of what made them so poor defensively. And they they did put their opponents at the line a lot. They never really forced any turnovers. So, you know, those were kind of the big things that I guess sort of jumped out. And then the other thing, you know, they were only seventh in defensive rebounding, which isn't like terrible, but they were 12th in allowing putback efficiency. So I'm not really sure where the discrepancy there comes from. Maybe it's just that they, they didn't have a, a ton of size. So when they did allow those opportunities, it was just a, an easy kind of putback 
and then they were also tied for the highest two-point field goal percentage allowed. So when you look at that, they weren't allowing a huge field goal percentage at the rim necessarily, but they had a high two-point field goal percentage overall. You know, maybe there was just some bad jump shooting luck in there also. But nothing really to talk about defensively, I guess, other than, you know, they had two first-team all-defensive players despite being 10th in defense, uh, which I think... I was going to make a joke about that, but you beat yeah, me too. Really. So let's talk about Kennedy Carter. Uh, well, I think, I, hang on. I have, oh, I have one question about the defense for you. How much of an effect do you think uh, their poor offense had on their defense? Oh, a lot, I think. I, I think anytime you're kind of really struggling on offense and you don't have like this really strong defensive identity, you know, some teams can kind of get away with it, but when you are, especially as we see in their transition numbers, when you're such a poor offense, that's going to lead to a lot of transition opportunities for the right. other team. Uh, and that, you know, will just kind of, it's a, it's a revolving cycle, right? You're uh, not scoring baskets, so it's harder to get stops. So, and then you're playing against a, a set defense and then, you know, you're not getting a, a basket again and it leads to an easy run out. So, and then if you're not getting stops, and it's harder to go in transition. Yeah, exactly. So I think it was definitely a contributing factor. And okay. ho- hopefully we'll see some offensive improvement. And, you know, I think they have more talent on both ends, obviously, you know, than they did last year as, as they got some, they're getting some pretty good players back. You know, whether those players all fit together, I think is worth uh, talking about as we get into it. But yeah, you want to talk about Kennedy Carter? Let's, go, let's talk about Kennedy Carter, one of the uh, brightest young stars in the WNBA, really kind of one of those players who seemed destined for greatness right out of the box. Um, she missed some games down the stretch, but before that, uh, she was definitely in the conversation for rookie of the year. I would have had her as a front runner before she got injured. Yeah, like I think it was close enough for me between her and Dangerfield where that extra little bit of missed time is kind of enough to sway it because yeah. they were they were both really, really exceptional in different ways. Obviously, Dangerfield you know, contributed to a winning team, which Carter did not, but played with a lot better talent as well. Um, but overall, you know, it was extremely promising for the first year uh, for Kennedy Carter. I think one of the hardest things to find in the WNBA is, is a point guard who can like reliably generate good offense for herself and her teammates who can blow by her defender and, and get all the way to the rim and finish at the rim reliably without needing a screen. And obviously, you know, pick and rolls are good, but to be able to just kind of create that separation on your own and, and force help defense to come over is, has its own value as well. Um, and she showed a lot of promise in that regard, getting by her defender one-on-one, just using her handle, her footwork, her athleticism. She can finish when she gets there. Her, her finishing wasn't like amazing for, you know, all players league-wide, but when you consider that she was a rookie point guard, it, it was definitely enough to be impressed about. What's that? I, I believe it was Debbie Antonelli who said this on a broadcast early in the season. It, she's, Katie Carter can get, you know, one shoulder and one hip by the defender, you know, with or without a screen, as you mentioned. And if she does that, which she does very often, it's either going to be a layup or a foul drawn pretty much every time because she's explosive, but she's not, you know, one of those players who's out of control on her drives. I mean, she, she can get kind of out of control sometimes, but she's fast and she's strong and she's skilled as well. It's, it's, a, it's a really incredible offensive package for a, a first-year player, really. And it makes sense why she left college a year early because she really did seem pro-ready in, in many respects. Yeah, and I think she has great balance. She has great touch. You know, I, I mentioned the footwork and that kind of plays into the balance as well. I did say on our Players Under 25 show that I think there are some paths for her to maybe not necessarily hit the level that I think she can get to, you know, uh, in terms of just being comfortable taking shots that are not necessarily the best shots that she can get. We did see her really like the long two yeah. last season. Would love to see a little bit more of a three ball there. And obviously, you know, Nikki Collin wants her to take more threes because 
well, one, she recently made some comments about playing her off the ball and refining her spot up shooting a little bit. And, you know, she mentioned the corner is her sweet spot, I think was her quote. Sorry for not attributing that. I forget who exactly initially, you know, reported that quote. But and I think there are, you know, positives to kind of developing this aspect of her game early in her career, you know, as long as it comes with plenty of reps as a lead ball handler as well, which I'm, I'm sure there will. But, you know, her rookie season, she took 32 threes total and, and only 10 of those were catch and shoot attempts as opposed to 22 shots off the dribble. So that is not really um, a great balance, you know, especially we'll see how it goes, you know, with all these players that they have to handle the ball this year. But the one element of that is that you like to see her comfortably taking shots off the dribble, you know, whether it's just a pull up and transition or if it's uh you know a pick and roll she she seems pretty yeah yeah, she seemed pretty comfortable there yeah absolutely kennedy carter is not lacking for confidence like that's that's for sure um and i think that maybe got her in trouble a little bit for her shot selection and and maybe some of her her drives that ended up out of control but i think it's i think it's a a great attribute to have now the the question i i have is how are they going to optimize her off the basketball because I think if you're going to do one thing with Kennedy Carter, if you're defending her one, one way, you got to give up something. It'd probably be giving up the three ball at, at this point in her, uh, her career. So how, how is it? They, they've got all these other ball handlers. Now they have so many guards in this team, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into later. How is Kennedy Carter's game kind of going to evolve? Because we, we, we both agree. She's the golden goose. You know, she's, she's the franchise player moving forward and whatever happens in this, for this team moving forward it's got to revolve around Kennedy Carter, ideally. So how is her, how, what's her development look like? Yeah, I think ideally you do give her some time off ball to refine that catch and shoot game. You know, like I mentioned, only, only 10 catch and shoot three point attempts last year. That that's pretty low. You do want to, I mean, if it were me, I, I maybe would have targeted some options that presented more floor spacing when she does have the ball in her hand to make that element of her game a, a little bit easier to refine. Right. Um, and I had in here that she took 21% of her shots from long two and 14% of her shots from three. So, you know, you would like to see that element, you know, whether it is a, a catch and shoot or just taking that pull up jump shot a little bit further away, you know, especially in the pick and roll, I think there's just an opportunity to kind of have that screen set a little bit higher. Uh, so she has some room to step into that dribble jumper behind the line rather than, you know, a couple steps into it. Well, and plus, like, teams are, are going to be so scared of her driving the ball and getting past them off the pick and roll. They're going to give her that space. Yeah, they definitely went under last year, and I imagine they'll continue to go under until she's really, really established that you just can't do that anymore. So one question I had to you before we kind of, like, get into the role that she'll play with all these other guards that they have, like, what, what all that's going to look like. Do you think Kennedy Carter can be the best player on an elite offense in the WNBA? Maybe not this year, obviously, because it's not mm. optimized talent, but, you know, moving forward. With, the, with optimized talent, I'm going to say yes. Because for all the reasons you, you stated when we first started talking about her, um, she is so skilled with the ball in her hands. I'm struggling to think of a point guard who is as good creating for themselves and others at the same time as Kennedy Carter. Maybe like Skylar Diggins-Smith, something like that. Maybe even Dinah Tarazi for a, for a very high ceiling comparison. But she's just got this this really amazing blend for playmaking for herself and then, and then making plays for others as well. Last season, as you mentioned with the, the pick and roll um, finishing numbers, not optimized. Not optimized for a pick and roll ball handler. So maybe it was, you know, Kennedy Carter has been a player historically in college who called her number fairly often. Maybe the case is that she's still trying to get out of that mentality and they're going to have to kind of 
make her more of a distributor. But that is something in her skill set already. It's not something they have to develop from scratch. So I, I think if you do have a like a really strong pick and roll player, like Cheyenne Parker, for instance, and a couple of perimeter players who are good at shooting threes, which, you know, the Dream don't really have yet, then yeah, I think Kennedy Carter could be a the best player on a really good offense. Do you? I definitely do. Yeah. I don't think it's this offense necessarily. No, no, uh, no. But she has the entire package. You know, I think you were kind of alluding to that you would like to see a little bit more from from the distribution. And, and sorry if I, I'm misrepresenting what your ideal role from her would be. But, you know, she is as good offensively in terms of getting her own offense, you know, getting all the way to the paint. Uh, we we want to see a little bit more of the, the three development uh, over this coming season and, you know, future seasons as well. But there's nothing that I saw last year that makes me kind of think that it, it, it can't get there, you know? Yeah. And Steven, the, the, I don't want to, I don't want to say like, well, she's, she's shooting the ball too much, but it, the other, the other side of the coin is even if she's not kicking it out to three point shooters, the presence of more three point shooters will open up the lane for her even more, you know? So yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into kind of, you, you had touched on it a little bit, but we'll just kind of run through it quickly in free agency. They, brought in Cheyenne Parker. They brought in Tiana Hawkins, Odyssey Sims, Shatori Walker-Kimbrough. Uh, Yvonne Turner is on a training camp contract. They drafted Ari McDonald with the number three pick. They'll be getting back Tiffany Hayes, who sat out last season. They didn't really lose much in free agency. Uh, you know, Renee Montgomery retired, who she also sat out last season. They won't be bringing back, you know, Glory Johnson or Blake Dietrich or, or some other players. But I think the place to start, and we had talked about a little bit in, you know, some of our free agency shows way back in January, February is the fit with Cheyenne Parker on this team, you know, not just with Kennedy Carter, but kind of the rest of the pieces as well. I like Cheyenne's fit next to Kennedy Carter more than I like her fit with any other player on this team. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, I think she can, you know, I think we'd seen in Connecticut that Courtney Williams can also be a pretty good pick and roll player when that element of her game is unlocked. But, you know, when you look at like uh, Tiffany Hayes or Elizabeth Williams or something like that, Parker, I think is a pretty good fit with Carter and, and maybe less so some of those other players. Well, I think Parker, is, she's one thing she's gotten better at is moving, is moving without the basketball. But I'm, I was kind of thinking about who her front court partner is going to be. Unless they play really, really small, something like Strickland at the four, which I don't think is going to happen. Like, is Parker a good fit next to Elizabeth Williams? Is Parker a good fit next to, next to Kalani Brown? I'm not convinced. Yeah, they, they did play Strickland a little bit at the four last year. Uh, and they, they brought in Hawkins, which, you know, that – lineup I don't think is going to be any great shakes defensively but no you know in my opinion like you shouldn't <laughs> and I, I know coaches especially a coach who's like in her I think what this will be her fourth year with the team they have a new ownership group they've been bad for two years like she's never just going to say like I don't care how we perform on defense but like Kennedy Carter should be the priority so you should play offensive-minded players in my opinion I don't have a job at stake in it so I can definitely <laughs> understand if Colin does not go that way but yeah I, I think you know, people are, are really excited about this and maybe it'll just kind of look different as we'll get to, you know, later when some of this roster turns over after next season. But, you know, I think if she's playing the five, it's, it can be really good. And if she's playing the four, I don't really like the fit much at all. Yeah. She, she did shoot the ball well from three last season, but 32 attempts she took from three last year. It's not like she was letting it fly out there. She mm -hmm. still has less than 75 attempts for her career. So I think there's some room for regression there. Maybe it's real. And maybe she's just going to be like, you know, a 37% shooter for her career. And that would be awesome. Um, but maybe Atlanta just doesn't really want her taking a ton of threes either. Cause she's a really, really efficient two point player. So, you know, I like it more now that they brought in Tiana Hawkins and when it first happened and, you know, it was like, Oh, well maybe Monique Billings or Kalani Brown will be like the third big next to 
Parker and Williams. So it has, you know, definitely changed over the last few months. And Parker is, it should be said, you know, she's had seasons where she's a really, really good pick and roll player. So that can definitely look really good with Carter in the right lineups. They did, like I mentioned, play Strickland a little bit at power forward last year. You know, those lineups weren't necessarily good, but that team wasn't necessarily good and, and they got some better <laughs> players now. Fair. So for me, I understand that they're going to have to play together some, but I think I'm just going to try to minimize like the Cheyenne Parker, Elizabeth Williams overlap, have one of them at the floor on the floor at all times. Like Hawkins can be your, your third big who spaces the floor well for each of them. And maybe they start and finish each half together and, and you kind of don't have them play together at all. Other than that, you know, you, I had the similar thought process. I just said, have one of Parker or Hawkins on the floor at, at all times, because then you have at least one big who's respectable from out there. I mean, this is, this is kind of the, it, this is an interesting roster because you have so few perimeter players and guards who are capable three point shooters, but then you have Hawkins and Cheyenne Parker in the front court. So you've got a couple of bigs who can knock it down from three. And I think Hawkins, like how many true stretch fours are there in the WNBA? Probably not that many, but I definitely say Hawkins is one of them. So she's got that reputation of a three point shooter. You know, defenses are going to want to get out on her. She's, I, I really like that signing offensively, you know, she's a great offensive fit next to whatever. It's kind of something I think they had to do because if they, I mean, goodness, if you didn't, if they didn't sign Tiana Hawkins, you said it like, if like, if the front court rotation was Parker, Billings, Williams, and, uh, and Kalani Brown, that not a lot going on outside of the paint there, but yeah, it's, it'll be, uh, there are definitely ways for this front court to optimize the backcourt. So let's talk about that backcourt. They have essentially, you know, 120 minutes to divide between Kennedy Carter, who you want at least taking, you know, 28 of those at minimum, Courtney Williams and Tiffany Hayes to very established veterans. Williams, a player that just brought in on a max deal last off season. Granted, it was a shorter one, you know, two years for Williams last year, two years for Stricken last year. So they weren't investing huge years into those free agent signings. Both of those players are probably going to expect to play, you know, 28 minutes a game, uh, that's, you know, right along where they've been the last few years, you know, since they've really kind of come into their own. Maybe with Hayes, you, you can go a little bit lighter on her minutes because she didn't play in the WNBA, but, you know, she did play overseas. It's not like she's been just sitting around. So even if both of them get to like 25 minutes a game, which seems pretty low for both of them, now you have like, you know, 40 minutes, uh, 42 minutes essentially to divide between Odyssey Sims, Ari McDonald, Chitori Walker-Kimbrough, and Shakina Strickland, who, you know, maybe you can steal some minutes with Strickland at the four, but that's still a lot of players <laughs> to not a lot of minutes between them. It um, is. How do they kind of handle this? Well, I think you're good. They're obviously going to be playing Tiffany Hayes at the three because she's their only option. You can really play at the three there without getting killed on defense, which is fine. I mean, she's a very good perimeter defender. And as you mentioned earlier, she's probably, she's going to be one of their best transition threats, but, and I agree with you. I think you need to play Kennedy Carter as, as much as possible. Cause like I said, she's the franchise. She's your best player moving forward for the rest of it. I don't know. Like I could see area McDonald just like not playing for a little while as she gets her feet, when she gets used to the, the speed and the physicality of the WNBA game. They brought Odyssey Sims in for some reason. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why, like the, the fit is just so weird. It's, it's, it's weird. Maybe Shatori Walker Kimbrough doesn't make the team. Like I like you said, I, I don't I wouldn't agree with that. But we were going to bed for for Shatori like all of last summer, and Phoenix kept not playing her. So maybe there's something that they, that they know that we don't. But she's um, like the one of these players who can like reliably, and maybe McDonald yeah. will also 
get to that point, but who can reliably just hit open shots. Yeah, and that's at a premium on this team. So maybe maybe Strickland just doesn't play. I mean, that that's the real problem here, in my opinion. You're you're paying Strickland 175k guaranteed money, and you're probably not going to be able to find any minutes for her. So you know, I mean, that's coming off the books next year. This year might just need to be a struggle as far as minutes are, are concerned. I, I'm not sure if there's any one way to to, to do this. Or, or, are you? I honestly don't think the Odyssey Sims Kennedy Carter fit is that bad. We saw Odyssey Sims play next to Crystal Dangerfield last year. And, you know, the offense wasn't that great when those two played together. But it is good to, in terms of, like, if you want to refine Kennedy Carter as a spot-up player, like, Odyssey Sims is a little bit more of a creator for others than, you know, Courtney Williams or Tiffany Hayes or Shatori Walker-Kimbrough. So I, I, I also, you know, don't understand why they brought her on this team, Odyssey Sims. But, you know, just that fit, I think, can make a little bit of sense. You know, maybe they just didn't plan on drafting Ari McDonald at the time that they signed out of seasons. They did fire their GM like a few days after the draft. So yeah, very interesting timing there. Uh, and there is, you know, I think there has been talk of a lot of like skill overlap on this team, but you know, maybe not as much as you think, like none of these really high profile wings as has been well-documented can shoot the three at the high level, but that doesn't really mean they're all the same player, right? Like Hayes and, Sims are like really outstanding getting to the basket. You know, Sims is a little bit more of a distributor. You know, Hayes will take some threes, but doesn't really hit them. 32% from three while taking about a third of her shots from there. But Hayes can still be pretty efficient because she gets to the rim really well and she gets to the line really, the free throw line. So Tiffany Hayes, like she takes about like half of her shots from within 10 feet. Uh, She might not always get all the way to the rim, but she's like at least getting into the paint. And she's getting to the line, whereas, you know, her wing running mate, Courtney Williams, like she's kind of making her living on the worst shots in basketball, right? Like there's not really a ton of overlap there, except that they can't shoot threes. I would say the over, yeah. I mean, I I looked at that. I was like, yeah, you know, Steven's probably right. The overlap is in the weakness, not in the strengths. Yeah, right. And that they're, they're not really providing that floor spacing. That's that's a great way to put it. Because Williams, like she's not getting to the line. She's not getting to the rim. She took 11% of her shots from three last year, which was actually up from 2019. But she she took 23 free throw attempts all year and got into the restricted area 23 times. So And, and 60% of her shots came from non-paint twos, where she shot 44% of them. So yeah. um, that that's not very good. I know, you know she's a, a fan favorite for sure. You know, she has some swagger that, that people really latch on to, I think. You know, she's a great personality for the league. But when you're, like, putting together the most effective basketball team, like, I, I don't know how she kind of really fits in to optimize the other players they have on this roster. I wanted to address that part in particular when, when, when talking about the dream moving forward. But is there anything else you kind of wanted to talk about the 2021 dream? Yeah, I wanted to talk about the last roster spot here because they'll probably be able to take 11 players into the, the roster, I mean, into the season. So, you know, Carter McDonald Sims, I imagine all those players – are going to make the team. Courtney Williams, Tiffany Hayes, Shakina Strickland, they're all going to make the team. Cheyenne Parker, Hawkins, Elizabeth Williams, they're all going to make the team. So you kind of have two spots for Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, Monique Billings, Kalani Brown, and maybe Yvonne Turner. How do you kind of round out the the end of the roster there, if, if it's oh, you? I say Turner is an automatic no, because you've already got plenty of guards and plenty of guards that you're invested in. Um... I think most of it comes down to Billings versus Brown and what you value more in your, in your last big off the bench, because Walker Kimbrough is a player who I agree with you. I would like to have her on my team. Just, just, just based on her, her strength and how she complements everyone else's strength as, as an outside shooter, spot up player. Um, 
but like Billings and like I'm not really I, I just haven't been impressed with either Billings or Brown during their time in the WNBA. So I don't know how do you how do you weigh those two players' strengths and weaknesses? So for Billings, not a player whose game I'm particularly fond of. She's going into her age 25 season, her second straight season last year, posting a 469 true shooting, which for a big is just really, really poor. It's probably lower than it should be considering she gets to the line with some frequency, but she takes 100% of her shots from two-point range and she's a 40% shooter on twos, you know, because she's shooting a ton of two-point jump shots. And even if she was making... uh, a lot of those jump shots, which she doesn't, you know, that, that still would not be very good. So less than half of her shots are coming from around the rim. It's, it's like you, you have this one player in Monique Billings who has one elite skill, and that's rebounding. And then you have another player in Kalani Brown who's kind of an archetype for a successful WNBA player, at least as like a reserve player. And, and Billings, of course, I think is not a good defender as well, in, in my opinion. So, you know, I think even though Brown like has been – I mean, especially in her second season, you know, dealing with COVID and stuff, it was definitely disappointing. And she only played like 62 minutes the entire season. But she she at least kind of fits what has been a relatively successful WNBA player before. Like she can score around the rim. She has size for her position. Like I see a role of her being an effective WNBA backup center where as Monique Billings, I, I just see someone who's going to put up a ton of rebounding stats and just kill you anytime she's on the floor. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably a good way of thinking about it. Brown is... Brown maybe is is a little less of a known a known commodity right now because last season, as you said, as you said, suffering from from COVID, never really got her conditioning up. I'm I'm not a big fan of her game either. You know, I, I think she's I think defensively she's going to be a liability, and offensively she's not really going to do anything for you outside of the painted area. But compared to Billings, who isn't good event defensively and isn't going to do do any, do anything for you anywhere offensively. I mean, it's like well. <laughs> it's it's the kind of slim pickings, but um, yeah, and, you know, I think I think Billings might actually have like more trade value at this point as well, and that's another thing to take into consideration. She is she does only have one year left on her contract, but for Brown, who's coming off that that COVID riddled season, I'm not sure teams are going to trade anything for her. But maybe you could sell someone on Billings who's looking for a really good athlete that theoretically has still has some potential there. I don't know. But yeah. so one, one of them's got to get caught, right? Yeah, I my inclination, I think, you know, Nikki Collin just likes Monique Billings a little bit more. You know, she plays hard. She does grab a ton of rebounds. Yeah. You know, she was there. She was like a reliable presence for them all season last year, even if she wasn't good. So my my inclination is that Brown will be the one getting caught, even though I would I would disagree with that and I would keep Brown. So Actually, uh, I think Shatoya Walker-Campo is going to be the one that gets caught. But... That would be a bummer to me. Yeah. Um, but where do you want to go from here? So the one thing I, uh, the one question I had about this team is, and it's somewhat of a rhetorical question, somewhat not, is this team rebuilding or are they competing? And I say it's a rhetorical question because obviously they're not going to, as you said, you know, new, new ownership and all that stuff. Nikki Collin may be coaching for her job this season, as, as fair or unfair as that may be. So they're going to try to compete. But they're not in a position to win the championship. I think we both agree on that. And they're their core is not there yet. It's still being established, but a lot of their moves in free agency, while they suggest they're trying to quote unquote win now, they don't, they don't have the same timeline. Like Parker got signed for three years, guaranteed max money. Um, Hawkins got signed for two years, unguaranteed, which is interesting. And of course, Sims only got signed for one year. So what's going on here? This this, 2021 seems to me like it's just going to be another transition season for the dream. 
Whereas last year, I'm not really sure what the plan was. This year, at least seems to be like, okay, we're developing Kennedy Carter. We're going to be as competitive as possible. You know, maybe stealth tanking if things don't go well. But I, I, I'm just trying to find what the identity of this team is going to be. I, I still want to talk about like the strengths and weaknesses of this team. But th- this does bring me to a question I wanted to ask uh, at some point in the show, which is like, you know, they, they drafted Carter, obviously, last year. She's the franchise player. They drafted McDonald with the lottery pick. They signed Parker to that three-year deal in the offseason. Everybody else essentially is coming off the books or yeah. has the ability to come off the books. Like Courtney Williams, Elizabeth Williams, Shakina Strickland, Tiffany Hayes, Odyssey Sims, they're all up after this season. So who on this roster do you think will be on the team the next time the Dream win a playoff game? Well, I mean, that, that, that's kind of why I asked is because I looked at the, uh, the salary sheet. From her hoop stats, by the way, if you have not checked out her hoop stats salary sheets, please do so. They do a great job at kind of organizing these things and giving us the accurate information in a way that's easily digestible. Yeah, next players who are going to be on the team next time the Dream win a champion, uh, not a championship, a uh, playoff game. I mean, I'm going to say, I would say Carter and Parker, bare minimum. Probably Tiffany Hayes. I think Tiffany Hayes. I, I don't think they can they can just give up on Tiffany Hayes right now. You know, maybe maybe she, they're a little low on her because you know she missed last season. But I don't know, dude. After watching her play in Euroleague, it, it just reminded me of how good Tiffany Hayes is at getting to the line and getting to the rim and in the open court. She's still an extremely athletic wing player and a pretty good defensive player as well. So I'm gonna go with those three and maybe Courtney Williams as well. Like the fit is is not as bad between Williams and, and Carter as, as it is between Sims and Carter, I think. I think I think Sims is just a rental. Uh, what about Ari McDonald? Yo, yeah, Ari McDonald as well. I don't think there's any reason for them to not. I mean, they just drafted her, and I would keep her around. I mean, even if she's not a starter, she's uh, she could play that like Jordan Canada type role, just being a total pest on the basketball who can push the ball in transition and maybe look for her own shot a little bit more than Jordan Canada does, but McDonald definitely. Um, but other than that, I don't know. Like Hawkins getting the unguaranteed money, I think is, is a red flag to me. And Elizabeth Williams, I. So it sounds like, it sounds like you think their core is kind of set in some ways, at least, you know, one through. One I mean, through five ish. Yeah. Without, with the exception of maybe like the power forward spot. Yes. Yes. That's what I would, that's what I would say. Okay. Interesting. I, I think there might be a little bit more, cleaning house after this season, you know, I would expect maybe them to go, you know, they have Carter, they have McDonald. I would expect them to keep one of Hayes and Williams after this year, Hayes and Courtney Williams, that is. Um, Not both of them. I mean, I just, I, I guess if they're really good, then, then they bring them both back, but I don't see that, but you know, I didn't see them doing a lot of things that they did. So, right. so I would say, you know, probably Carter, Carter Parker, or McDonald are, are the three that I feel good about. And then maybe one of those other two, wings let's get to some strengths and weaknesses here what is this team going to be good at in 2021 um transition play i think i think that's a that's pretty much a given whenever you have like tiffany hayes on the team dribble penetration again tiffany hayes but also uh odyssey sims and and ari mcdonald and pretty much everybody on the perimeter except for courtney williams what else i think they have good depth you know they have nine good WNBA players plus an incoming lottery pick like they they should be able to roll out some pretty talented lineups. You know, even if they don't all fit together, you know, they, they should have good talent almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, wing athleticism, I think, you know, Williams, Hayes, Carter, you know, those are, are some pretty athletic players as well. You know, maybe they can just be a really good pick and roll team if they just play some balanced lineups uh, for most of the game when they're not, 
you know, pairing their two bigs together, or, or maybe if Parker is just, you know, canning a bunch of threes. Perimeter defense, I think maybe, you know, if, if Williams and Hayes are playing up to the level that they can play defensively uh, for the entire season, like those are two players that I think, uh, and if Hayes is able to kind of capably guard threes, you know, she is a little bit undersized at that spot. Traditionally kind of more of a, a two defender. I think that could be a strength. Okay. Uh, how about weaknesses? I mean, besides the obvious, is is three point shooting on the perimeter. Yeah, and you know, it it just might be a struggle for them to be a good offense altogether. Like they they've been a bottom four offense every year of Nikki Collins' tenure, and the team as a whole, the franchise, I should say, hasn't been a good offense, uh, a, a, an offense outside of the bottom four since two thousand fourteen. So, mm-hmm. um, not not something that the team, and obviously, like no one's really still there from two thousand fourteen. But but I, I think they're still going to be. Uh, a relatively poor offense. Maybe they can get up to league average. I don't know. Um, but I think they'll maybe still be bad at getting to the free throw line. You know, they have Parker and they have Hayes now. And with improvement from Kennedy Carter, maybe that will improve a little bit. But, you know, the biggest weakness, I think, and uh, it, it kind of sabotages everything else they have going is, you know, playing cohesive units with players that complement each other and players that can shoot the three it was brought up that that Vegas has been successful without floor spacing or three point shooting. Well, Vegas like is the best at the league in getting to the free throw line and the best in the league at scoring at the rim. So with Atlanta is going to have a long way to go to be that. I have another weakness. How about passing in the front court? Yeah, that's a good one. You know, like I look at, I look at this, this group of front court players and they are all play finishers. And even if they're not play finishing, like they're going to be turning it over. Cheyenne Parker, big turnover player. Elizabeth Williams not really looking to uh, to pass out of the post. Billings not even a question really. So it's if the ball goes in there, is it, is it coming out? I don't think so. Uh, transition defense, I think, is probably still going to be a weakness for this team. I don't really see what they did to improve that. You know, other than maybe they'll just be a better offense and there are less transition opportunities. But it could be. You know, that's something that I've talked about with Cheyenne Parker's game specifically that I think is not a strong suit of hers. And they had been poor prior to bringing in Cheyenne Parker. So it's not like it's just her fault. You know, pretty much all their players have been bad there. So anything else about, you know, strengths, weaknesses? How do you see this? Is, is this team a fringe playoff team? Are they like guaranteed for the lottery? Where, where well, do you kind of put them? I don't think they're guaranteed for the lottery. I, I think based on them getting Hayes back and then bringing in Parker and Hawkins, like I said, I really like the Hawkins signing for this team. Hopefully, you know, a healthy Courtney Williams and a healthy Kalani Brown. I, I think they definitely have the talent to kind of sneak into the playoffs. I'm not sure what their ceiling is, though. Like, the, the talent, they can, like you said, they definitely have the talent to drag them through some lousy offensive possessions and, and maybe be an okay defense. But matching up against any other good team, who are they, like, decidedly better than, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think I would have them at this point out of the playoffs, but... If they made like the eighth seed, I wouldn't be completely. Yeah, like eighth or seventh seed, best case scenario. Like, okay, so they're they're probably gonna be better than Indiana. They're maybe better than Dallas. I don't know. I I, I picked them. I picked Atlanta to make the playoffs last season, and I a lot of it was just like I thought Courtney Williams would have a bigger impact than mm-hmm. than she did. But again, she was dealing with COVID, and and they just had more good players than they did last year. Oh, one other thing I wanted to ask: like, is there is there any doubt who this team's closing five should be, or is it pretty straightforward with like the two bigs and then the three kind of high-profile wing players? Yeah, I think you got to go with you know Carter, Williams, Hayes, Parker, other Williams. Yeah, that, that's or you know maybe you could go with with, with Parker and Hawkins, but defensively that's going to be not great. So yeah, that's uh, they're they're going to have some trouble getting stops. Um, 
but yeah, I'm, I think maybe this team could be better than, I don't know if like, if Connecticut just like really struggles to score, uh, I'm having a hard time kind of gauging how good Connecticut can be. Like, I think any of the, like the bottom five teams outside of Indiana, you know, Dallas, LA, Connecticut, New York, and Atlanta, like they, they can realistically make the playoffs, but I do think I like Atlanta the least of those teams. Yeah. It's interesting heading into the season. Cause like, there aren't really any four teams that are clearly lottery bound. I think Indiana is like the only one. I would say Dallas, I'm leaning more towards the lottery as well, but everyone else, can we just like expand the playoffs this year? Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I'm done. How about you? Yeah, I think I'm good. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at Double Down WNBA. You can follow Eric at Nemchak E or myself at Trinkwald. And thank you all so much for listening. Uh, I hope you have been enjoying the team outlooks and we are almost to the start of the regular season. Hang in there, folks.